We're starting a new series this morning and a different series tonight. This morning, it's on the topic, Deliver Us From Evil, an actual prayer Jesus encourages us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. One of the phrases in that prayer is, Deliver Us From Evil. And then tonight, I'm starting a series titled, Is That Still a Thing? Is that still a thing? And we'll look at some things in Scripture like, Baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, the laying on of hands and moral purity. And we'll look at some of those questions and find out how many of them and how they have transitioned through time to today. Amen. So I'm just baiting you in the hopes that you might consider coming um, to, to the evening also. I'm, I'm being mischievous in that way. Good morning, Online Church, and good morning, Kingfisher FM and those uh, who are listening on radio. But this morning, I'd like to start off by tackling the topic under the heading Deliver Us From Evil. This morning's topic is when things get thorny. When things get thorny. There is a verse in the Bible that's very controversial, and I thought I would start with it because we don't have enough controversy in our lives, you know. Um, it's not on the screen, though, because I almost didn't want to type it there. I thought I'm going to be judged for this verse. It's in Proverbs chapter 27. If you've ever used this verse, then you were in a very bad fight. And in fact, I'm so nervous of it in this public context that I'm going to read it from the message translation because the, some of you have found it already, haven't you? The other translations are hectic. But I encourage you to read the Bible in other translations, of course. It says that a nagging spouse. <laughs> How many of you know what the other translations say? A nagging? Wow. The three people have used it in a fight. I'm going to stick to the message if you don't mind. It says, a nagging spouse is like the drip, drip, drip of a tap. And the next verse is great. It says, you can't turn it off and you can't get away from it. <laughs> I mean, what a verse. You just, it's, it's not, you, do you have an off button? Have you ever, have you ever wanted to ask someone that question? Is there some kind of an offer? Is there, do you come with a remote? Can we bring the volume down and every now and then just, you know, don't you every now and then want to be like a Christian version of a hypnotist, just sleep? You know, I'm sure, I'm sure you, those of you who've got kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've, every now and then you've looked at your kids and thought, there's got to be magic that can make you sleep. Well, this idea uh, that I, I want to talk to you about today is uh, how uh, Christ and Scripture teaches us to be wise about the kinds of thorns we allow in our lives. Uh, there are some thorns that are useful. Paul, in a moment, will describe, talks about a thorn in his side. But then there are some thorns that are unhelpful and even evil. And the difficulty with the topic deliver us from evil is that TV has convinced us that evil is an ugly demon with horns and, and, and very easy to identify. But the Bible teaches us that our enemy, the devil, can even at times appear like an angel of light. And if you make evil an extreme thing, then you might not be aware that it is near you because its presentation is very nice. 
And so one has to be wise about that. And of course, I haven't made the connection about the dripping spouse yet. That's not the, the, the dripping tap yet. That's, that's not what I, I mean. What that verse is talking about is what do you do when a situation continues in an unstopping way and you can't get away from it? What's the victory in the impossible? And I want to show you that there is biblical guidance on how to make that a victory. Right from Genesis, this idea of thorns appears. It's part of the curse that Adam and Eve got when they disobeyed God and sinned. One of the phrases in Genesis chapter 3, verse 18, it says that the ground will produce thorns and thistles for you. In, and in fact, um, if you want another hectic verse, I mean, I'm just throwing all the big ones out today. If you want another hectic verse, go read the rest of the curse. I mean, it is intense, eh? I thought not not on the first not on the first uh, Sunday on this, but we, we might look at it a bit a bit later. Just by the way, uh, or, or, uh, this idea of thorns and thistles, which are are things that. A prick at our eyes, the Bible describes like barbs in our eyes and thorns in our sides. I want you to bear in mind that as serious as this topic is, it's going to end this morning with a great victory because Jesus Christ took everything that we face onto the cross. And in fact, specifically on thorns, thistles and barbs in our eyes, they fashioned a crown of thorns. And he took all your thorns and mine and put them in a crown and took it to the cross so you and I can be set free from the thorns and thistles in our lives. There is a victory in this. By the way, the changes in our venue are going to allow us to accommodate 2,200 people for Passover and for uh, Resurrection Sunday. And I believe that we'll need them after that too uh, and going forward. And we'll add a second coffee counter from entrance to outward with some tables and chairs. And I don't know why I want to talk about this now. Matthew, <laughs> Matthew <laughs> Cast some vision. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. This passage of scripture is especially powerful because there is a warning here. Watch out what you're sleeping on. Now in the evening service, I'll be saying, watch out who you're sleeping with. But in the morning service, so, that was too far. I apologize. I'll take it back. Can we rewind that? It shouldn't, that question should never be complicated. It's supposed to be married to us. And then, so, but it's saying, while you were sleeping, the enemy came in and amongst your good work, start sowing some useless things because weeds are just things that look like wheat but are useless. And isn't it amazing that weeds can grow without any effort? And I find it most frustrating that I try to grow a patch of grass. I mean, in this drought, the only grass you can grow is astroturf. You know? You guys may not know this. I used to have a business that installed and sold astroturf. And my catchphrase was, it's plastic but it's fantastic. <laughs> and <laughs> I still believe that. still believe it was ahead of its time. Um, but, but uh, and I tried to grow a little patch of grass, and you know, with all my effort, I got to pray over it and hope the dew falls on it and pray for rain. And then on the other side 
in the paving where I don't want it. Grows fantastically. I've got to attack it with a machine to stop it from growing. What is, what's that all about? It's, it's a, a cautionary parable. It says, watch out that your enemy comes in. And then it makes a further statement. It just as things are becoming fruitful, then the weeds come up. Do you know I've learned that if I can spot the giant, I'm close to the promised land. I've realized they come together. The great win comes with this nagging enemy that I have to address. And it's part of readying you and maturing you for that. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays a prayer for his disciples. My prayer, it, it says in verse 15, is not that you, be ta- that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world also. This idea is also very important that Christians should not avoid the real world and create a second fake world in which to live, but should have the authority to enter any aspect of the real world and do so victoriously. Conquer and win and live well in marriage, in business, in raising children. No matter what the world is doing, listen, we won't be able to force others to think as we do, but we can enter into the world and make them envious that they don't think as we do. Can you say amen to that? Make them envious. Because the world is spiraling out of control. As the ideas get more chaotic, the context gets more silly, people can't find their feet anymore. Stand close enough to the world that when he stumbles, he can hold on to you. And so Jesus praises praises. He says, be careful. I don't want you to put them in a weird world. Christians sometimes can get into their own weird world. I want you to send them out like you sent me. I came all the way from heaven to earth. Big difference. I want to send them from church into the world, but protect them. And then he says, your, your word is truth. He, he, he prays the answer. The answer is truth sets you free from the enemy's lies. Truth. When I learned to drive... I did it in a Land Rover Defender. I still have a strong affection for Land Rovers. I can't afford them because there are many zeros now on the back of a Land Rover. But a short wheelbase, Stephen laughing at me, I learned on a short wheelbase, my dad had a Land Rover that was the same age as me, a 19... Call me Aitney. Uh, 72 Land Rover, which he did up, and he taught me to drive on a Land Rover. It's a tough vehicle to learn to drive on that age. But also, he thought the safest place to teach me to drive is on the beach. Now, that's illegal now. But can you imagine that there was a time when when you went to the beach, you'd have to watch out for 16-year-olds learning to drive on the beach. That was legal back then. You know, the problem with that was the Land Rover was a tough vehicle. I mean, now they're super fancy. You can turn a Land Rover, you know, with a touch of a, of a finger. But that, that was an, a thing to turn. And I kept falling into the, into the tracks 
of the previous drivers. So I wouldn't want to go too close to the water, but my wheels kept falling into the tracks that were made. And I remember my father saying, don't you want to open a window? And I thought, you know, at this very moment, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm being forced into the water by other people's tracks. This vehicle does not have automatic windows. Do, I think you must just stay in the heat, to be honest. We are not adding, let's open a window to this day. <laughs> and I wonder how many times you, uh, trying to get somewhere in life, aren't also simply falling into the tracks made by somebody else so that you can't go where God intended for you to go because you are the unintended victim of the people before you's direction and intention and plan. And now you just keep going because that's the way everybody else did it. And you have to snap out of that. Truth has to be truth. I have to throw in a gardening example because I'm a nerd that way. But I want to thank all the people who've been dropping off plants. I'll let you know when it's too much. But I received amazing plants. People drop them off at the gate. They hoot. They say, hey, here's a thing. Here's a sarcad. Here's a thing. I know sarcads need permits. Here's a thing and a thing. And someday we'll have to do a plant swap here. But um, there's a worm that's like the size of a person's thumb. It's arum lilies. I don't know if you've ever seen it. First time I saw one, I got a fright. It looked like it was big enough to have a conversation with me. It's got these giant eyeballs and like a long snout. I was like, what is wrong with you? Evolution is a lie. And, but I didn't have the guts to kill it. I was like, it looked at me as if to say, leave me alone. I felt, I felt like it was a bit too cruel. But the next morning, my attitude changed. That night, that thing ate my Aram lilies flat. There wasn't a leaf in sight. I thought, my emotions about you are completely over now, thank you. You are taking from me stuff I'm working hard to grow. Out come the scissors. And green stuff comes out everywhere. No, 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 don't be upset. That's my errand. I paid 50 bucks for that green stuff. And I have to tell you that some of you are being too kind to your enemy. And while you're sleeping, it's eating. And you don't have the guts to get up and do some pruning. And when you get the pruning done, it'll feel gross, but you'll look forward to it. Now, the slightest sign of eating on a leaf, I'm out there. I'm out there with a torch at night because they come out at night. I'm out there with, uh, with, with, with makeup for hiding in the bushes. I'm out there. I, we are winning that war. Are you joking? I'm going to go buy another plant and you're going to eat it. That's not going to happen. And I do wonder how many of you, you've let the canker worm, the Bible says, come and eat your harvest and you've left the seasonal worm come and eat the harvest and you've let all kinds of things into your field. And then you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, look, why is my life not blessed? It started out blessed, but you let the foxes in. It started out blessed, but you let the worms on everything. It started out blessed, but you didn't want to take the knife out because you want to hug everything. You might have to cut some things out. Was that too far? Are you guys laughing at what you might see when you come and visit me? Me in my camo outfits ready to... I think that was the point Christ was making was don't let your enemy come and sow seeds of, of weeds. Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us that we are in a war and that we should put on the armor of God. 
Verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Against the powers, uh, for our struggle rather, is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against your authorities, spiritual authorities, uh, against powers of the dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, still stand. You know, this verse, uh, uh, I wanted to highlight the word schemes. Uh, the devil is not random, so why are you being random? It's a scheme. He's got a scheme in mind. For some reason or the other, I am constantly uh, having to reject things and walk away from things that I know are negative to me. I have to make sure I don't watch certain kinds or genres of movies. I have to be careful I don't listen to certain kinds of podcasters because for me, that's a scheme. Now, for somebody else, it's not a scheme, but I know the scheme that works for me. And you have to not be ignorant, another part of the Bible says, of the devil's schemes. He's not random. And by the way, if he's not random, then your solution should never be random. You have to have a strategy for your prayer life, your thought life, your money life. You've got to have a strategy for your uh, eating and drinking and socializing life. You have to have a strategy for church. How many of you have said casually or randomly, maybe we should go to church tomorrow and everything that can possibly delay you happens that Saturday or Sunday morning? Don't be random. Be intentional. And, and, and I know don't be random is also like a modern thing, but be intentional about it. Say to yourself, if I arrive when George says amen, I'm still going to go just to prove the devil wrong. Now, I know that's not why some of you got here at the amen. I know that's why, but now I've given you a thing you can hold on to. Hey, somebody came to the 11 o'clock service a few weeks ago, Shane. Um, that's, that's, that's a, bit, a bit extreme. So, so I wanted to talk to you about thorns and thistles because that's the type of evil we are dealing with today. And in the few minutes I have left, I want to address those. I want you to know that at the end of each of uh, the messages in this series, I'm going to invite you to stand and publicly declare a confession of victory in that area. It's going to be a prayer, a little two-sentence two prayer which we'll put up on the screen, and we'll make it available on social media platforms because you may have to repeat it a couple of times at home uh, for a few weeks until there's a new pattern uh, emerging in your life. But the first uh, kind of thorn uh, I think we must acknowledge as evil in our lives is self-inflicted thorns. Self-inflicted thorns. Let's be honest. Some of the evil in your life you did to yourself. Okay, I didn't expect an Amen. I mean, I didn't expect it to be that cold, but I didn't expect an amen. Let me give you a verse so we can all feel equal here. Numbers 33. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in your land. You know, the passage of Scripture is saying is what you allow in the geography of your life could become a thorn in your sight. I noticed, I've been guilty of this, I noticed something 
about company we keep. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, that bad company corrupts good morals. And I've noticed something about that, that for some strange reason, when somebody who is negative enters a room, for some reason, the transaction is always that the negative spirit seems to dominate over the entire room. And I keep wondering, why is that? Why is it that one negative spirit can suck the life out of a room of 10 very happy people? And I've realized because it's what you allow. Now, if somebody is mourning or sulking or sad or silly, you might have to pull them aside now and then and say, are you okay? You seem down. you got two choices. You let us pray over you and set you free right now. Or you're going to snap out of it or go home. Now you can't do that if it's your husband, uh, obviously, or your wife. Like you can't do that. But And maybe you don't want to do it on the first day. But let me tell you what I've realized. If somebody is putting up a sign that says, pay attention to me, then the kind of attention you should pay is spiritual. How about we lay hands? How about we pray a prayer? How about we read a verse? Because how about I get you to church on Sunday? Because if you don't do that, the attention you will pay will be an emotional transaction where you are giving out and never receiving back. That's what that verse is saying. When you go into a new land, be careful. You don't pick up the habits of the people around you and you tolerate it and you say, well, you know, it's for everybody. And do you know what I realized when, when you have that attitude too much? When you say everything is for everybody and everyone must just be left alone to do what they want to do, that sounds lovely as a headline. Do you know who will be the one person that will not be allowed to do what they want to do? You. Isn't that weird? Let us not allow the spirit of this world to become a thorn in our side so that we are too ashamed to allow the spirit of Christ to rule and to reign in everything that we do. You can't allow it. There's something you mustn't allow. Now, it's easy to say, well, I won't allow them, others, but you've got to stop allowing yourself. You know, one of the worst phrases, Pastor Israel in Cape Town used to say this, and I would eventually tell him, please stop saying that. Whenever we were at a restaurant in Cape Town, I'd look at something on the menu that I really shouldn't have. And he would say, have it, man, you deserve it. I said, I literally do not deserve five stacked pancakes with, you know, half a liter of syrup and, you know, some berry compote to sort of ease the conscience that you're also having fruit. I don't deserve it. I literally do not. Nothing I've done says go and eat pancakes. Now, after the service, because you've endured this service, you should buy pancakes and support the youth. I think you deserve it. I think you deserve it. Do you know, we reward ourselves unnecessarily. I don't buy slabs of chocolate because I do not have the discipline to just eat two. No, I can't do that. I do that at, say, four o'clock. And I say, I'm done now. And I set my alarm for the 18 hours of intermittent fasting. And at 4.30, I think, well, you know, the sun hasn't set yet. And I just want to watch this movie. Just the next row, just two more. I deserve it, you know. I'm not going to eat for 18 hours, set the clock again. 
Later at 7 p.m., I've eaten the entire sesame-flavoured uh, 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 or orange-flavoured, uh, what's that, chocolate? Um, Lint. Yes, you all know because you're all sinners just like me. You're all sinners just like me. And you've convinced yourselves it's dark chocolate, so it's not so bad. Really, I did that, so why did I start looking like I looked if it wasn't so bad? And there, I'd, and I eat the whole thing and I throw it away very nicely and I say to myself, now the clock can start. You're running out of time. Stop giving yourself permission. Secondly, sometimes thorns in our side are just what the Bible refers to as spiritual interference. Sometimes the devil distracts you in the hopes that you will no longer pursue the good thing, the godly thing, the honorable thing you always wanted to pursue. It's an interference. The greatest men in the Bible, women in the Bible, had such opposition. It's David and his Goliath. It is Moses and his Pharaoh. It is an enemy uh, at the time of victory. Second Corinthians 12 says, Paul writing, uh, uh, verse 7, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The verse, next verse says, so therefore I shall glory before God even in weakness. Do you know what Paul learned? People misunderstand this. They think, uh, God allowed a thorn in his side. He prayed about it. And then uh, the thorn carried on and God said, live with it. Actually, that is a fair interpretation. It's not erroneous per se. But you know what Paul is saying? This is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, even if I've got a thorn in my flesh and even if God hasn't yet taken it away, still my calling is clear. My standards are high. My faith is in God. My belief is in my Redeemer. The thorn will have to come along for the ride until God picks it out. But I'm not stopping to stare at the thorn. I've got another minute, don't I? Do I? I think the clock goes to another, yeah, yeah, I've got it, yay. Um, the first time, now our international uh, guys might, I don't know what the term is, so if, if, if this fruit is, goes by some other name, please type it in the comments. The first time I ate prickly pear, I misunderstood the assignment. <laughs> because I got some prickly pear that, uh, you know, they grow on a cactus, right? That didn't look like they had a thorn. So I took it. And I cut it open and I peeled it the way the rest and I ate it. I have to tell you that the taste of it, in my personal opinion, wasn't worth the sacrifice. I mean, it, now that I know what to do, the taste of it has improved in my mind because it doesn't come with trauma. Now, for days afterwards, I'm finding little hairs stuck here in between your fingers. You know how annoying that is? As some of you know. Let me give you another trick. Uh, those thorns are evil because you don't even have to touch them. They fall off in the wind so that if you're trying to get it and, you, and you're shaking the plant, it falls on you. What else? That's the Greek for everywhere. 
Now for weeks, I'm picking at it and picking at it. I'm a bit nervous trying other fruit because I don't know what it comes with when things get thorny. If you don't understand the assignment, you're going to grab a hold of something that's actually intended to be a good thing, but you don't know that there are some ways to work with it. And if you work with it wrong, it's going to hurt you. You take a hold of a, a money and it it can stab you if you don't know how to work it properly. You see, you take hold of marriage, and if you don't know how to handle marriage correctly, what was intended as sweet fruits will become a thorn in your side. In fact, in 1 Timothy, it says, those who desire wealth and become ensnared by it pierce themselves with many sorrows. You better know how to handle it. Better know how to handle it. My last car story, and, and one more thing, and I'm done. I remember buying a car a few years ago. It was a tough, a powerful car. It, was a, it had a, a V8 engine in. Obviously, now, a fuel and V8 engines are not, not easy. But the man who sold it to me said, listen, uh, you've been driving this kind of car. I just want you to know this is a powerful car. If you put your foot down, it's going to do stuff you didn't expect. You better know how to handle it. I want to let you know that faith is a powerful thing. When you put your foot down and you know where you want to go, handle it wisely. It's a powerful thing. Handle it wisely. Don't allow yourself to be pierced. Finally, the Bible describes thorns or barbs, both are in there, as something that happens when your own soul is in conflict. When your own soul is in conflict. Do you know, when what you believe and what you do don't line up, you go into an internal conflict and it starts to pierce you. What's the term, CPS? Something dissonance. Cognitive dissonance. I mean, I'm not a therapist, but it's very nice to have one in the front row. Or is it always nice? I'm always aware of my body language. Is she going to say, oh, today George was emotionally disconnected from the what, what? <laughs> but don't worry, I watch you when you're singing and I also, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. That's not true. Her husband's going to give me a hiding afterwards. Um, cognitive dissonance, if I understand it correctly, is that you become absent from the moment if what you do and what you believe don't line up. And that essentially you have two choices. You either have to change what you do or you have to change what you believe in order to be at peace. The world says change what you believe to approve what you are doing. The Bible says change what you are doing to prove what you believe is eternal and everlasting. You're struggling a bit. It's hurting a bit. It's thorny a bit because you're going the wrong way. Luke chapter 8, verse 14. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, by riches, by pleasures, and they do not mature. Thorns. I wanted to uh, conclude this morning... uh, by telling you that God has provided us spiritual victory and support. God has given us the victory. 
And I want for you to know that you're not left without a win. I remind you about that verse I casually commented on earlier in John chapter 19, that the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. It was to symbolize that that curse in Genesis that made the ground produce thorns and thistles. And those thorns and barbs from your enemy that lived in the land with you and you had to drive out their philosophies. And those thorns that come from self-inflicted injury because the worries of this world choked you out were all taken and symbolically placed on Christ's head. And he carried it to the cross so you wouldn't have to carry it home every day. As we stand in a moment to pray, I want you to come to a point of victory in this area. If any area in your life is thorny, it is not in victory. And surrender it to Christ so you can live in the joy of your salvation. There's the salvation and the joy of the salvation. You know, you know what I mean? There can be sometimes the business and the joy of business. There can be the marriage and joys of being married. The, 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 the one is a contractual fact and the other is the celebration of it. We have a contractual fact of salvation, but we must also have a joy, a celebration of salvation. And this is how you live it. Would you please stand with me? I'm hopeful that this prayer will be in the comment section, perhaps. Um, but I'm, I'm putting a prayer up on the screen, and my, my hope is that you will declare it. Uh, thank you, team, uh, for putting it up so you can just get your head around it. This will be the amen moment, so you'll be able to get to that great pancake that you deserve. You got through this morning. <laughs> I'd like to pray this prayer out loud. Do you think it would be too weird if we prayed it out loud? Is that okay? Uh, if you're uncomfortable, feel like it's a bit too pushy, you can just um, uh, do so in, in your own, under your breath or in your own mind. But I think we should just do it. For the next three weeks at the end of every service, let's just put some boundaries on the devil and declare some victories for our soul. So on the count of three, we'll start where it says, I am. One, two, three. I am the beneficiary of the blessing. Heaven's proclamation is my confession. Instead of brokenness, I receive the oil of gladness. My soul is good ground, free to be fruitful. I renounce the works of darkness and walk in Christ's deliverance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me pray a blessing of you. Father, make this both real and relevant for us. Fill us in the abundance of the joy of the Lord for this week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, everybody.